please um, turn in your Bible to Ezekiel 38 as well. Would you stand with me just for the reading of these three scriptures in Matthew 24? Beginning with verse 1, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. <clears throat> Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, he said, you see all of these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Last week we began uh, a series on signs of the times and the end of the age. Uh, most of us who have grew up in church have, have seen our grandparents' age say that the coming of the Lord is near. And then our parents' age, the coming of the Lord is near. And now you have your pastor saying the coming of the Lord is near. And um, I'm not a deep, profound thinker, but I think I have the answer um, because the coming of the Lord is near. And, and Scripture teaches us, though, uh, as the day approaches, that certain things in the Old Testament that were locked away, and by that God had them written, inspired by the Holy, Scripture, uh, Holy Spirit, infallible, but the meaning of them locked away until the end times and when uh, God's Spirit allows us to connect point A and point B. Your pastor is a firm believer in the imminent return of Jesus Christ where he can come to the earth today. There's no sign necessary, but the Bible tells us about the day of the Lord. And let me just talk a moment to set myself up so we can go into this about Ezekiel 38 and 39. What the prophets saw was accurate, but they did not see everything. That's why when Christ came, they did not recognize him because when they thought king, they thought coming in uh, with palatial treatment, not entering Jerusalem on a donkey. They didn't understand king of the invisible world first and then king of the natural world. And in, in prophecies... The Bible tells us of the day of the Lord, and the whole part of the day of the Lord from beginning to end is judgment, and it's violent fury, God's wrath judging a godless world and a, 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 a people that left him. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble, not the time of the, the Christian's trouble, but the time of Jacob's trouble. And we, but the Bible also tells us that we are not children of darkness, that that day would overtake us as a thief. When Jesus, in his words, said, no man knoweth the day nor the hour, uh, he said, not even the Son. That didn't mean that the Son of God would never know the day and the hour. It just means that as he shed himself of the Godhead, he was perfect, but he shed himself of that omniscience, He's saying, no one knows. But he left us with so many signs that would teach us that uh, it's impossible for us to walk into darkness uh, as to where we are in the timetable if you bring all the scriptures together. When God unveils them and they come like this, it's easy to see. I am convinced that uh, the day of the Lord is divided into... Two parts. It's a seven-year period. No way around it. Two parts. The rapture of the church and the revelation of Jesus Christ. One is Jesus coming for his people. The Bible says we meet him in the air. The second is the revelation. And by day of the Lord, I meant the second coming is divided into two parts. The rapture and the revelation. You, I've had pastors tell me, well, Jesus never mentioned the rapture. It's because it was a mystery. It was a mystery to that generation, to the 12 disciples, to the Jews before them, to the Gentile world. Until Paul received the revelation from the resurrected Christ, it wasn't that it contradicted Jesus' teaching on the tribulation and the end of the world. It added a new element to it. So, 
the rapture of the church is not the same as the second coming because in the rapture of the church, uh, that is for Jesus coming to take away uh, the living saints as well as the dead in Christ, Jesus comes halfway. It said they meet him in the air. And in the second coming, Jesus comes all the way to the earth and his foot touches the Mount of Olives and it splits in half. In the rapture of the church, Jesus is coming for his people. In the, in the revelation, in the second coming, he's coming with his people. But what troubles us and what troubles the world today is uh, we know something is wrong. We know that we are now going downhill towards something that is perilous, destructive, and our feet have come off the pedals and the bike is going by itself and there's nothing man can do to stop it. Economic collapse. National collapse, spiritual collapse, moral collapse. Everything is coming towards darkness and judgment. But we as children of God, we, the gift of knowing about these signs, the gift of knowing that the Lord's return is near, the gift of knowing how he preserves the righteous and that that judgment will not fall upon the believer because it fell on Jesus in his place. We're not afraid of the end times. He didn't give us the prophecies and the book of Revelation to make us fearful. He gave it to us so whether we understood it all correctly or not, we understand that nothing can come against us, nothing can overcome us because we are hid in Christ with God. And we are safe and secure. Last week, I gave you signs. These are signs that an atheist could not dispute. They're just geographical and historical signs. The first was the miracle of Israel's survival as a people. No other conquered nation and people dispersed across the face of the earth has ever kept their national identity, their historicity, and the things that make them unique and peculiar and came back to be a nation in the exact same place where they were conquered. God prophesied this in his word. The curse and the extinction of Israel's enemies. All of the biblical enemies of Israel uh, in, in that day and age no longer exist. Not a trace, nothing gone. And the nations that exist, exist now that are enemies of, of Israel are, are saved into the moment of wrath and God's judgment. The nation of Israel reborn in a day in 1948. The, the mathematical odds of that historical event happening, which happened, would, would fill up a sheet of paper with zeros that one people over a period of, of, of 2,000 plus years could come back together and be born in a day, overnight. Our computers can't process the statistical odds. It's impossible for it to be done, and it happened. Jerusalem was united under Israeli rule during the Six-Day War, surrounded by multiple nations. This one little town, the size of a town, it was a nation, but the size of a town, defeated multiple national armies within six days and gained all of the land back that God had promised them. Israel continuing to be in the global spotlight is a sign. Why would a nation that big when you've got nations like Russia and Asia, you know, the, the United States and Britain, Israel is the spotlight and the center hub of the whole world. Isn't it funny that the God who created the world and gave us the, the, the history and the prophecies concerning the world, focuses his love and attention and desire on Israel and said they will never be extinct. And they are the hub of the world. And finally, the preparation of the Jews, we talked about them preparing all the things necessary to resume, resume temple sacrifices, uh, Levite priests, young boys, over 500 have already been trained. And every ornament, every um, piece of furniture necessary to resume these sacrifices are already in the temple. Whew, what an introduction. Okay. Will you pray for me as I pray for myself this morning? Father, I am so aware 
of my responsibility in teaching these things. I could cause people to stumble. I could add my insight or uh, what I think to truth and make it error. And I'm asking you, Lord, as simple as I know how, to give me the clarity to speak very clearly of the things that I know and the things that I think and the things that might be so that we would recognize these events as they come to happen. It's not important that we are perfect predictors of the future, Lord, but that we are not caught unawares, that we can read the signs of the times, we can read uh, what's happening on the, uh, on the face of this earth and, and turn that recognition, not in a boast that we saw all the pieces, but that with that awareness, we would turn our heart, affections, our goals, and our desires toward you. So when the trump goes, Lord, we would be anxious and ready to leave this place and forever be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, known as, uh, this passage speaks of, of the battle of Gog and Magog. I don't want to take the time to read the two chapters, but let me just kind of read highlights and then tell you how this war, this sign of a multinational coalition that's going to come against Israel, uh, I believe the scriptures, uh, it, tell us, it tells us absolutely that it's going to happen. The scriptures seem to point as to when it will happen, but it's very uh, explicit who it will involve and the, the why and the what uh, and the where's. What is the battle of Gog and Magog? It is a multinational military force coming together for the sole purpose of annihilating the Jewish race and plundering their resources. Just write this down: Ezekiel thirty-eight one through six. The land of God said, Gog and Magog, I am against you. He tells them, I am against you, and because you are against my people Israel. Magog is Kazakhstan, I can hardly pronounce them, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, every other stand that you've probably known, all of them there. That area we know because we trace back the lineage of the original Hebrew names and we get the locations and it's our modern day uh, Afghanistan area. Rosh, uh, commentators differ and uh, some of the newer commentary. Be very careful of new thought that all of a sudden violates all scriptural knowledge from years before. Most educated scholars believe that Rosh is Russia. And because it says you will come from the uttermost parts of the north, the farthest parts of the north, and if you draw a perfectly straight line from Jerusalem to the perfect north, you find Russia. Uh, then you have Meshech, Tubal, Gomer, Beth Tagarma, which is primarily Turkey and the surrounding area. Persia, which is Iran, Ethiopia, which is the Sudan, and Put, which is Libya, uh, possibly Algeria. Now, the Bible tells us that this battle will take place when Israel feels safe. Uh, it says that they will be a place without walls. Now, today they have a lot better border wall than we have. It'll keep people from coming in and going out. It's, it's really a state-of-the-art uh, deterrent. But it would not stop armored vehicles or, or you know, planes from coming in. And so, in essence, it's not walled, even though it has the barbed wire and the detention framing. And the Bible says that these nations will have the thought, we are going to come in, we are going to exterminate every living Jew on this land. And we're going to take their vast array of resources and the wealth of their land. The Bible speaks of nations uh, in Ezekiel 38 who do not get involved, and I'll get to that in a moment. But they say, have you come to take the spoil of Jerusalem? Are you coming to take over? Because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but I just invite you to do a, a, a research online uh, just from secular authors. Uh, go to Google and type in the revitalization of Jerusalem or, or the fertile fields uh, in Israel. I just thought, because the news shows you, you know, 
half-destroyed cities that everything is just destroyed. Israel is coming alive. They are the most fertile land in that whole region. They have created a drip technology, not a soaker hose. Lowe's has a soaker hose. This is not a soaker hose. But they have created a drip technology that they're giving away to the world that can't afford it and selling it to others. And they are producing hundreds of acres, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres of food where there was nothing but sand. Israel, and I did not know this until this week studying, has a desalination plant. Pull this up. And it's a, it's a tenth right now. But it was hundreds of thousands of gallons a day. They are turning ocean water into drinking water. And God is, God is blessing every part of them. And look it up. This, this, isn't, this isn't scripture of some conservative right wing saying that. These are facts. And they have discovered a gas, a hidden gas reserve under them that is the largest in the world. So, Ezekiel 38 and 39 says these nations come together and said, you know what? We need to come in. And the other nation said, are you going to get the assets? So, whenever this happens, these nations that I listed to you will come again for the sole purpose. Their primary purpose is the destruction of Israel. They hate. They despise. And on the news today, you can turn it on. You just pick a time. They're the the, the, the uh, Islamic State, they said our goal, our purpose for existence is to destroy the Israelites and to destroy the Jews. Uh, I asked them to put up a sign of this map to give you an idea. Uh, guys, if you have, I know you won't be able to read the little places, but you see the little bitty place under the yellow? You see it? The little you are here thing, is it visible? Okay, that's Israel. The red is Russia, Rosh. The green is Magog. The pink is Iran. Um, the purple is Libya. Blue is Cush. And all of that landmass and those peoples are going to come together in a coalition to destroy and wipe out this little bitty spot and take their resources. All participants of this invasion claim their national religion to be Islam except Russia. Let me read this to you so that I don't make a mistake. Because sometimes, y'all have kind of memory where you think it's sounding right. And you go back and listen to it and you transpose Earl for Freddie. And you get, you know what you're trying to say. So, in places like this, I need to just write down, read this, John. So, I'm going to read this. The Islamic religious fervor to destroy the Jewish people would unite the fractious Muslim nations into a coalition which has never existed before. The hatred, into, in addition to the relentless drive for their resources, could be the draw for Russia to join in and lead this doomed coalition. None of the nations that border Israel are mentioned as the ones invading Israel. No mention of Jordan, no mention of Lebanon, Syria, or Egypt. The Saudis who do not fight for Israel still want nothing to happen to Israel because if Israel is overcome... They are next. The invasion is not only prophesied, but it is God's doing. Look at Ezekiel 38.4. I will give you this verse. Ezekiel 38.4. And he speaks to this land. I'm just giving you the one verse, but all these nations. He said, I will put hooks into your jaws and I will bring all of your army forth. I'm doing this. And some would say, well, why would God judge them if he's the one that's doing it? Oh, no, no. He's bringing them into the land. The crimes have already been committed. God's not the one making them uh, be evil. The evil exists. The hatred for God and God's people exists. But for Scripture to say God decides the when, and he told us the history before it happened. And he said, this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to bring together an angry coalition of nations that has never happened before in the history of the world. 
I believe, not for certain, but I believe Russia will be the head of it. So you have the power, uh, asset, might, supplier nation, and the hatred foot army. That's how the two, you know, joining together over a mutual hatred or a mutual uh, desire for spoil. But, but it's God that's doing it. Don't forget. Don't forget. Uh, our president, former world leaders, Gaddafi, uh, Hussein, uh, uh, any of them, none of them decide how this thing goes down. They can choose evil paths and evil thoughts. But this world is going to play out exactly like God said. This world will not be destroyed in a nuclear fashion. Because God told us it wouldn't. He said, I'm going to destroy it by fire and start over. I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Jerusalem will be attacked. Some battles, nothing happens to them. Others, the Bible speaks of in the last day in the great tribulation... Their women are raped and their, their destruction. They suffer in the streets. And he says, when you see, one of them is, when you see the sign of the uh, abomination of desolation, which is the Antichrist standing in the rebuilt temple of God, whether it's a tabernacle like a, a tent of meeting or the actual temple, and he's going to stand in the place of the Holy of Holies and declare that he is God Almighty. Jesus said, when you see this, don't even go get your coat. Run. And God be with you if you're nursing at that time. He says, take off. So the Jerusalem is not exempt from attack and torture and loss, but they will never be defeated. They will never be defeated. Ever. Because the same God that prophesied all of history and prophesied the first coming, and Jesus came born of a virgin just like the scripture said, prophesies of a second coming where Jesus Christ comes to the earth to rule and reign in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. That's a great place to shout or something. That's, just, that's good. Made me happy because I'm connected to him. I'm engrafted. Notice this, the absence of any national military force from any other nation during the battle of Gog and Magog. It says that Sheba, and Ezekiel 38, 13, if you're looking, Dedan, which is Saudi Arabia, the UK or Spain, and the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof, which is probably North America or offshoots of Spain, shall say unto the people, Are you come to take this bull? Have you gathered your company to take prey, to carry away silver and gold, cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? So it shows you that they're not for the invasion. They're just not doing anything about it. Now, be careful of, oh, there's thousands on the Internet of the United States' role in history. And this is the U.S.'s mystery Babylon. And U.S. is this and U.S. is that. We are not specifically mentioned we may be inferred to, we might be in a grouping of the young lions, but we're not referred to, which tells us, sadly, one of three things. Either, well, this is, this is a far stretch, okay? I just, I have to give it to you because I don't know. Everything that's recorded happens, but not everything that happens is recorded. The United States may try to help, but I doubt it because he was so specific in listing all the nations that were attacking and all the nations that stood by. It appears that if we are alluded to, we're not for it, but we do nothing about it. And the only way we would do nothing about it is if we did not want to, or we could not. If we, want, if we didn't want to do anything about it, or we could not. If you were to poll our nation 18 months ago, we would not have helped. Today, it appears that we would. But if something happened to the president that we have, or our nation suffered an economic collapse, which is inevitable. And I'm not a doomsdayer. This is math. I mean, if you make $40,000 a year and you spend $40 million a year, I prophesy that you're going to have financial trouble. That's, that's easy. We're trillions, 20 plus trillion dollars in debt. 
and to pay our interest, we print more money. So we, at whatever place we stand, there is no appearance in Scripture of us helping at all. If we were to suffer a earthly catastrophe, uh, and I can only quote what I read and study, if one of our volcanoes were to explode, and you say, oh, well, that could never happen. Yeah, they explode. If that happened, it would destroy the entire infrastructure of the U.S. If there were an, uh, a superstorm or a man-created storm or, or an act of God, uh, a tsunami that would hit the East Coast or uh, whatever, if something happened to us, whether it was terrorist attack, a natural something, an economic collapse, it appears that we are not going to be a part of Israel's defense for this battle. Thank the Lord it doesn't mention us as being those that attack them. Is it clear so far, or have I just muddied the water? Okay, thank you very much. That was encouraging. Let me get some more. Just... Last week I tried my best, and I thought I did good, and as I was leaving, somebody goes, I don't know what you were talking about. All right, this is the part that you can turn on your TV and verify that's happening right now. Right now. Not maybe, not might, not looks like. Russia is in a current military alignment with Turkey and Iran. Ezekiel 39, 1 and 2 claims Rosh to be from the remotest parts of the north. No other nation exists uh, more north than Russia. This is the Jerusalem Post. November 19th, 2017, so two months ago. Moscow, Turkey, and Iran are sending messages to Washington that the Americans are out in the cold and the post-ISIS era may be well dictated by regional powers. Who are the regional powers? Moscow, Turkey, and Iran. Current news reports repeatedly show that Russia has quickly and thoroughly solidified economic and military ties with the nations involved in the Gog-Magog coalition. Russia is building a nuclear reactor in Iran and arming is, uh, uh, Islamic nations. Russia has also made known their expressed interest in getting a foothold into the Middle East to help control its vast oil reserves. Israel's newly found gas deposits are a direct threat to Russia's hold over the natural gas supply line. And Russia, except for the most recent presidency, you would say in most middle-aged lifetime, has a historical, evidentiary, factual, unmistakable opposition and hatred for Israel and the persecution and the killing of them all through their history. So if God's putting hooks in the jaws of people, they may look different, they may have different skin tones, but their DNA, their history, God says, who am I going to bring to this battle? And he pulls from the north, so, and he pulls these other nations surrounding. So now, hear your pastor. Let's just say that the scholars that have gone before me, and I myself am not a scholar, I'm barely a preacher. Uh... The scholars that have gone, let's say we're wrong on every nation. You're still okay because the fact remains you will recognize an Islamic coalition that comes against Israel, multinational coalition. Now, to invade, you have to be nearby. You'll be able to see and say, he was wrong about the nation, the nation, the nation, but this is the battle of Gog and Magog, and it's happening just like God said, and then the results are going to be like God says. And you'll be able to point to it. Do you remember Peter in the upper room when they all received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the tongue of fire set upon him? He goes, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your young men shall dream dreams or, or, or have visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And, uh, and, and the women will prophesy. I'm going to pour it out on all flesh. Well, that wasn't the fulfillment of the prophecy. It was part of the prophecy. Because the fulfillment is in the last days. He's going to do that on Israel. But he recognized, Joel was, Peter was recognizing where he was. He said, this is what Joel was talking about. 
And this is hard for me to believe, but I thoroughly believe it. We will say things like, wouldn't it have been neat to have been in, the, uh, in Israel the time when Jesus was born? No, hardly anyone knew. A blind man waiting on Shiloh knew. And the wise men knew. And the shepherds knew. And those that had a tender heart towards God and the things of God knew. They recognized him. And I'm telling you, if Jesus tarries, we are going to witness this battle happen because this battle has to happen before Jesus Christ rules and reigns on the earth. And so, in the same way we never expected a Pearl Harbor attack, you just turn on your television and there it was. This battle is going to happen. And these people will unite the Islamic hatred and unite with a remote country from the north, which we believe to be Russia, to take away their assets and to make the Israelites extinct. Now, I want all of you to turn in your Bible to Ezekiel 38, 19 through 23. Now, as you read 38 and 39, I invite you to go home and read it several times slowly just to get a feel for it. This is what it looks like. Let's read it. Well, I said let's read it. I didn't type mine out. It... <laughs> You hold your finger there, and I'm going to tell you about it. So when the time comes, see, God has a schedule, and he moves the, the heart of the king is in his hand. He turns it wherever he wants to. He does it. He said, it's time. And he puts hooks in the mouths of these nations and brings them into Israel. So you hate my people. You hate my people. And he pulls all the nations in. And as soon as they get in, he is furious. The Hebrew speaks of his face filling up with wrath and his nose flaring. He is angry. This is one of the first uh, judgments of this last day that is unmistakable. Listen to what he does. He sends a great earthquake. He causes confusion like he'd done before. And the armies turn on one another. I don't know if they think Russia has backstabbed them or Russia feels that they've turned on them. But as they come to attack, God is furious and he makes them turn on one another. Listen to this. He causes a great earthquake. That's part of the confusion, I believe. And then they turn upon one another and he causes immediate disease, pestilence to spread among them. And then he starts raining from heaven, blood, fire, hailstones and brimstone. Giant blocks of ice that can take out uh, tanks and airplanes. It is a natural phenomenon. He judges them with nature. He judges them with visible things. How are you going to ignore on television now that, you know, and, and, and media, when it'll be recorded on cell phones, it'll be recorded... By television stations, it's not going to rain water. It's going to rain fire. And the Bible says, I'm going to do this so that they will know that I am the God of Israel. That's why I'm going to do it. I opened the sea so that they would know there's no God that delivereth like the one of Israel. I'm going to bring them back into their land so that they will know Elijah prayed. He said, Lord, send the fire that they may know that there is a God in Israel. And this doing, a world full of atheists are going to stand and say, there is someone greater than us fighting for them. So here they come. Three, two, one, go. And they start to approach Israel. And somewhere in their approach, there is a, the big one. Y'all remember Sanford and Son? Okay, I'm going to give you this. It's free because we've been talking so heavy. You ready? Hold on. It was the big one. He's going to see Wheezy, right? He's coming. Young people don't know television today ain't no good. If you don't know Lamont and Grady and everybody, you... This ain't going to be... There's a report of a 2.1 earthquake. Okay. Notice the timing. 
And what will an atheistic world say when the nations have said they're invading now and they're watching it live on the fake news networks? They're watching it live. And hailstones the size of, what if God decides to send them the size of skyscrapers and buildings? And they're filming it. And the Jews are on defense mode. And you're seeing it play out. And you're, they ain't going to need to do nothing. And the Bible says that they are annihilated. Absolutely, utterly destroyed with natural things, elements that man couldn't orchestrate. That's strong, isn't it? Now, now do, you, do you see what I'm saying now? That if even if we're not prophecy scholars and we don't know every nation, we'll recognize that on TV. That's what I want you to be aware of. That's what, the importance is not that you and I understand every detail. The importance is we recognize the things of God as they happen. And we said, that's what the Lord, that's the Lord. That's the battle of Gog and Magog. God will by himself, here's the key, by himself defend Israel and destroy these nations. By himself. That's another reason, potentially, why no one comes to their aid. He said, ain't nobody going to touch this. No one's going to share bragging rights. I don't need you. I don't need the U.S. I don't need Britain. I don't need anyone. This is my nation. And we saw it on the map. Guys, can you put it on the map one more time, on, on the screen, that map? So all, see, it's not, don't, don't just think of uh, these big land masses. Think of millions and millions and millions of foot soldiers. This is going to be boots on the ground. And then... The natural, massive earthquake that happens and then the absolute, that we are eyewitnesses to the destruction of all these people. And even the atheists, even those that don't acknowledge God or the things of God are going to say, Somebody, there's a power somewhere defending. Even if they don't give the credit to the true God, it will be quite the odds for the earth to defend the nation itself. And this to me is, is very powerful. In Ezekiel 38, near verse 23, the Bible said that these people, and it's not, uh, they're not going to do the ballistic, it's going to be boots on the ground attack. That the stench of the corpses will be so great that they'll have to manage a different passageway in the hills of Israel. In the hills of Israel. They are going to hire men. I would not apply for this position. You've got to be really hungry to apply for this position. But for seven years, all they do is bury dead people. Seven years. I'm going to tell you another little small thing you'll notice about the Jewish people. Their neighbors in war would never bury them. And they defend, and yes, they kill, and yes, they defend their land and people, but there's a basic dignity. Instead of just throwing them in a ditch and burning them, they bury the dead is what the Scripture says. And they use their weapons for fuel for seven years. Now, this one mystifies your pastor. It says that they will not need to go into the woods for uh, trees, for fuel, or for fire. For They'll not need that. And it has to be some type of symbolism or something I've not thought of. Or maybe they harness nuclear, um, I don't know, assets that they can turn into fuel. But they do not have to produce fuel for their nation for seven years because of the burning or the breaking down of all the enemy's equipment. So you've got bodies on top of bodies everywhere. People are walking. You'll see them on the news with their face wrapped in the towel and all the dead will be there. God will destroy them and it will be global news. 
your pastor believes that this battle will take place before or very near the time of the rapture of the church. I do not believe that the battle of Gog and Magog is the battle of Armageddon. Because the battle of Gog and Magog, God is crystal clear. He said that this fighting is done in the hills of Jerusalem. And the battle of Armageddon is done in the uh, plain of Megiddo. The, this couldn't be mid-tribulation or after the tribulation because we're not, Israel's not going to need fuel when Jesus Christ comes and restores the kingdom because he's going to be the provider of all those things. There won't be contamination in the millennial kingdom, so they can't have seven years of dead people right outside the nation. So if this happens right at the time of the rapture, before or after, then they would have the full seven years. See, notice the sevens. The tribulation period starts at the signing of the Antichrist, the signing of the covenant produced by the Antichrist for Israel and the Middle East. At the three and a half year point, the Antichrist stands in the temple declaring himself to be God, and that's called the abomination of desolation. The first three and a half years is tribulation. The second half is the great tribulation. Okay. The sevens, it gives us of, of seven years of great tribulation, seven years of the burning of the weapons. So see, you notice the sevens, and I don't see how they could bleed over, but this is why I would tend to think that the rapture would come first and then this could happen or this could happen right near the same time because you would still have time for them to start the cleanup, start breaking down the weaponry before the seven-year period starts. You're just not going to carry over Israel using the fuel of defeated enemies into the millennial kingdom. You're not going to bring over... Uh, dead stacked up because the millennial kingdom will be a time of perfect peace and righteousness and cleanliness and wholeness. Well, here are my reasons. If there were to be a pre-tribulation rapture, which I believe firmly there is, Russia and its Muslim coalition could seize the opportunity to attack a friendless Israel. If Christ comes for his church before this battle. The U.S., who today is their greatest ally, if the U.S. were emptied of all Christians in government, politics, in the defense, then we would be one that would stand on the sidelines, at least stand on the sidelines and say no, at worst, join the attack. Number two, if the Muslim Gog and Magog nations were out of the picture just before the tribulation, it would make sense that the Antichrist would have an easier time of making good on a peace covenant with Israel. If there was no Islamic State, none. They're wiped out, gone. Who do you have to ask permission? If the Dome of the Rock is, and we don't know, but if that's the location, most scholars believe it is, but if it's that or nearby, who's going to tell them no? If they want to build their temple, who's going to say no after they witness God destroy everybody? You see? So if the saints are gone and the Antichrist comes in, and, and when you think Antichrist, don't think red-horned, you know, tail, pitchfork. It's a geopolitical figure who's empowered by Satan. In the same way you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, he's empowered by Satan to, to do evil that God uses for his glory, and he will... Bring Israel in and said, you know, he could sway them. The Bible said he speaks like a lamb. He said, oh, it's obvious that you're blessed and we just want to make sure that we can settle in on peace and we're going to sign this accord. If there's no Islams to oppose, if the vast, the Bible said he leaves one-sixth, I think it is, of the people. If you dropped hailstones big as buildings on my nation and destroyed, you know, 85% of the people, you want the Dome of the Rock? They can have that. I don't, I don't want that. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be lighthearted. But think about it. If the Christians are gone and those nations are gone, just the land is left, who's going to oppose? That would make sense to me. It doesn't have to happen that way, but I could see how they could sign a peace deal next day. <laughs> I'm like, I want to be at peace with Jesus. 
Number three, with the more Christianized nations in tatters due to a pre-tribulation rapture and the Islamic world in ruins from the Gog-Magog battle, the remaining European world power could fill the vacuum in the Middle East by making a peace treaty with Israel and conquering the lands of the once Middle Eastern Muslim countries, we could see the revival of the Roman Empire easily. The only remaining world powers would be East Asian, and the Bible records their continued existence, though under the control of the Antichrist through the end of the tribulation. And this one is huge to me. Number four, and these are all ifs. If this happens at the same time of the rapture, and the Muslim world is in ruins... Because their faith in Allah has been shattered. Because of their defeat at the Gog-Magog battle, the Muslim world would no longer be any impediment for the Jews to rebuild their temple. I, always, I, was th I hadn't thought about the spiritual part. I was thinking about the economic part, the national part, the numbers of soldiers, the weaponry, the financing from Russia. But it's all built on Allah. Allah. And if Israel, uh, the, the uh, what is it, the satanic necked people, the great Satan, the, I mean, we're the great Satan, they're the Satan. If their God beat our God, you see, in that area there's no, it's like all the rails are down. You can just walk on in. Number five. And I told you this a moment ago. Don't forget, the tribulation period does not begin with the rapture of the church, but the signing of the peace covenant. Ben, if you would come, please. Between the Antichrist and Israel. For your notes, Daniel 9, 27. If this happened, it would allow a three and a half, a three and a half year or more time delay between the rapture and the tribulation, giving Israel seven years to burn all its weapons. Here's another reason I believe that it could... I believe that it will, but that it could hap happen before the rapture. The Bible says that Israel will use those weapons for fuel, the breaking apart, however they glean from them, and the burying of the dead for seven years. And if, if it doesn't happen early, it could not happen because they're going to be fleeing into the mountains at the three and a half year mark. Because Antichrist is going to come after them and Israel will be harmed, attacked, hurt. So how can I bury my dead or bury the dead of my enemies, live in peace and keep using their fuel if I have run to Petra to be saved, you see? But if it happens early, you have the seven year, the whole seven year period to do as God says. I know it's a lot. Number six, by God catching away his church and by God himself defending the small land of Israel from a host so numerous that Ezekiel said they covered the land like a dark cloud. So if all of these things happen, which they will, and they all play, on, play out on television, which they will, and they all play out on the internet, just like God said, and they will. And if the church is taken away and they're trying to say what happened to all the Christians, and they will. And Israel is defended against an army so vast, the Bible said that it blots the sun out. The world that God loves would have another sign that God is real and that Christ is king. See, it's not about the U.S. It's not about uh, the lands in the East. It's not even about Israel. It's about the Lord. It's about the Lord. And people after the rapture of the church are going to come to, when they see these things, they may not have made the catching away, but they're going to bow their knee and say, I believe. I've watched it with my, God is so merciful. How will a last day revival happen? Like this. These days are right upon us. And I just speak over you as your pastor and as a brother in the Lord. Don't be afraid. Lift up your head. Your redemption draweth nigh. God's got this thing. God knows how it's going to play out. Not afraid of things, things that can happen. God scripts your life. He decides when you were born. 
He decides when you go home. And we're not children of darkness. I expect him any day, I'm telling you. I felt, I, I just, it, now I'm not going to go dig a hole in a bunker and live in a bunker and put aluminum foil on my head or nothing. I'm just going to, I'm just going to walk around looking upward. This is not our home. So, this, I close with this. The same prophets that prophesied the first coming of Jesus Christ. Thousands of years passed and it happened just like he said. We could be the generation that sees Jesus Christ come back for his church. <laughs> God, I bless your great name today. I pray, O oh Lord, that we would not uh, make it our mission to get caught up in the prophetic signs, but that we also would not be unaware. That we would say, that could be this. God, am I ready? Me and my wife ready? Are our babies ready? Are my family in? Is everybody in the ark? Lord, that we would cut the ties to this world and the things of this world and possessions and status and that we would store up for ourselves riches in heaven knowing that the days are close at hand. I believe, oh Lord, that we're gonna, we'll be here. I just believe, God. And I pray. You told us to pray this way. So I'm praying for myself, my wife, my babies in this church. I pray that we would be accounted worthy to escape the great and terrible day of the Lord. I fear you, Lord. I don't fear nobody else, but I fear you. And I ask you to cover us with your skirts. I ask you to cover us, cover our hearts. Give us wisdom how to re redeem these last days, to be intentional and purposeful, and to make sure that our lives give you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I trust I didn't... Muddy, I, I really did. Y'all, I labored with this so much because I, I, I'm not a, a, a prophecy scholar. But you pray for me. And if you have any questions, send them to Kellywood126 at Hotmail. <laughs> I just gave the email address out. Sorry. Uh, in the next couple of Sundays, if the Lord tarries, we're going to talk about some wild stuff. We're going to talk about the days of Noah. We're going to talk about angels who left their first estate we are going to talk about the perilous times that should come we're going to talk about things that God said you'd see all around you and my goal in all of this is to not get you caught up in the world but to get caught up in Jesus where Jesus is center, center, center and be ready for anything have a wonderful week, God bless you